the heartbeat. My name is Professor Address Mawaku wa Malata. Dear Malawian nurses and midwives, the heartbeat. 2020 was declared by the World Health Organization as the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife. Malawian nurses and midwives have for decades dedicated their lives to care for the sick and well in our health care settings as well as communities under very challenging circumstances. Nurses and midwives in Malawi, as well as in many other low-resource setting countries, are usually overworked, overwhelmed, and lowly paid. They have a very strict career progression and limited opportunities to lead in male-dominated health communities. The career of nurses and midwives are viewed as second class compared with other healthcare professions. Yet we all know that nursing as well as midwifery is a science as well as an art their voices never heard as they are not invited to be on the table where decisions are made about their profession as well as the whole healthcare system if they are invited to the table they are not given an opportunity to choose the menu my heart goes to all malawian nurses and midwives who are living but also to those that have slept A special tribute goes to nurses and midwives on the front line working in clinical settings and most of the time putting their lives at risk particularly in a time like this one when the country and the whole world is facing the COVID-19 pandemic my life has significantly been shaped by my nursing and midwifery teachers but also both seniors and juniors as well as my peers in my professional trajectory I am indebted to you all, my teachers, peers, seniors, and my own students who have inspired me and pushed me in my professional development. Today, I can be called a professor of nursing and midwifery not because of my own making and efforts, but because of your enormous contribution in my professional journey. You deserve the gratitude and the recognition. You will never be paid for what you have done. No will you be rewarded for the contribution you have made to me and the profession particularly the people of Malawi and beyond but may God richly bless and remember you although your stories may never be told you are my heroes you are Malawi's heroes you are Africa's heroes and you are global heroes growing up I was inspired by three nurses who regularly visited my parents' home at Koma Mission in Lilongwe, Malawi. The nurses came to chat, chat with my mother, my late mother Victoria, and they would sometimes take us with my late sister Grace to the nurses' home at Koma Nurses College. I was young, but enjoyed having tea in their hostel. It was clean and a well-organized hostel. I made up my mind at that early age that I would be a nurse. I liked the uniform too, including the nurse's cap. The three nurses who are now of age are Mrs. Aina Mezaromo, she's Nivokiwa, Mrs. Vokiwa, 
ni Mandua and Mrs. Kawaza ni Tazi. I went to Nkoma Primary School where I got selected to Lilonga Girls Secondary School in 1978 and later on was selected to pursue a diploma in nursing at Kamuzu College of Nursing between 1983 and 1986, then University Certificate in Midwifery in 1987. I worked at Salima District Hospital under the supervision of nurses and midwives who were very passionate and taught me in practice, leadership, management and skills that are critical for good nursing and midwifery care. In 1989, I returned to Kamuzu College of Nursing when I was offered a position of staff associate and later on was admitted into a Bachelor of Science in Nursing Education program, which I completed and thereafter received a scholarship to study Master of Science in Nursing at Edith Cowan University in Western Australia. In 1989, I was returned to Kamuzu College of Nursing when I was offered a position of staff associate and later on was admitted into the Bachelor of Science in Nursing Education program, which I completed, and thereafter received a scholarship to study Master of Science in Nursing at Edith Cohen University in Western Australia. In the year 2001, I returned to Australia upon successfully acquiring a competitive International Postgraduate Scholarship, which enabled me to pursue a Doctor of Philosophy in Nursing. As I pursued this journey, I was also building a family. Although the journey was exciting, it was also challenging. As I was pursuing the PhD program, I took a 10-month-old baby to Australia and left a 2-year-old baby with my husband in Malawi. Unfortunately, the 10-month-old baby became very unwell and spent a considerable amount of time in hospital where I pursued my studies. I'm thankful to God that she was in a country where there was a very good medical care system, but also thankful to God for a supportive husband, immediate family members, such as my late mother, my mother-in-law, my brothers and sisters-in-law who stood by me, and today I look back with a grateful heart to the Almighty God for His favor and faithfulness for such a, and for such a good family support. I also receive support from brothers and sisters in the Lord, my own pastors, men and women of God that prayed for us and supported us during this journey and have always been there for us. On this journey, I also had to take leadership positions to represent women, nursing and midwifery, and the healthcare profession at different levels in Malawi, in Africa, and of course globally. I have served on numerous boards such as World Vision, Malawi, Action Aid Malawi, National AIDS Commission, Mazim, among others. I've also served as president of midwives in Malawi, president of nurses in Africa for Sigma Theta Tau, and vice president of the International Confederation of Midwives in the World, being the first midwife from Africa to hold such a position. As I was one of the first female professors in Malawi following a successful fulfillment of academic requirements, I was the first woman to hold position or Vice-Chancellor of a public university in Malawi, and more likely, the first of the nursing and midwifery profession in Africa. 
I have dedicated my life to serving humanity in Malawi, Africa, and globally through my expertise and passion for maternal and newborn health. I believe that no woman should die while giving life. I have a passion for girls' education and women empowerment, which has demanded that I look for resources to support girls and women to go to school. I have looked with satisfaction when I see the girls and women make so much progress and take on leadership positions. Despite all these responsibilities, I've also enjoyed being a wife to Stuart and a mother to our beautiful girls, Esther and Angela, as well as many other children God has given us. This is God's favor and grace, and I do not take anything for granted. On the journey, I have received numerous awards, and I want to dedicate these awards to the women of Malawi, but also to my late mother, Mrs. Victoria Mgawe. My name is Lerato Hande. Welcome to Letters. That letter you were just listening to was from Professor Adris Mawoko Amalata. It was also read by her oldest daughter, Esther, who is currently studying at the College of Medicine, embarking on a journey inspired by her mother's. Hello, my name is Esther Malata, and I am Professor Adris Malata's daughter. I am a student at the College of Medicine, studying MBBS, and I am in my third year. My mother has inspired me and so many others in her journey to success. She has been hardworking and resilient and has shown us that you can do anything that you put your mind to, regardless of the situations that you may face. I will be reading her letter to the nurses and midwives in Malawi. Professor Malata's journey is nothing short of inspiring. She has been working in the nursing and midwifery profession for close to 30 years. Prior to becoming the Vice-Chancellor of MUST, Professor Malata was appointed Principal of Kamuzu College of Nursing in 2008. During her time as Principal, she pioneered the implementation of six master's programs, a PhD program, as well as several undergraduate programs. From 2014 to 2017, she was the Vice President of the International Confederation of Midwives, the peak body for the protection, promotion, and practice of midwifery globally. She was also the director of the World Health Organization Collaborating Center for Interprofessional Education and Collaborative Practice at Kamuzu College of Nursing from 2014 to 2016. She is the vice president of the International Confederation of Midwives, ICM. Professor Malata has been the principal investigator or co-principal investigator for numerous research projects focusing on sexual and reproductive health and has published numerous international peer-reviewed journals. She has received numerous awards, including the Award of Excellence in Nursing and Midwifery by the National Organization of Nurses and Midwives of Malawi, and the inaugural Distinguished Alumni Award at her former university, Edith Cowan, in Australia. Professor Malata is a renowned international speaker, author, and editor of various journals in the field of health, nursing, midwifery, and health workforce. Professor Malata's list of achievements and contributions goes on and on. In my conversation with Professor Malata, we spoke about the challenges faced by nurses in Malawi, specifically during this time facing the COVID-19 pandemic. We talked about the shortage of nurses in the country. According to the 2018 Ministry of Health Policy, 
the nurse-to-patient population ratio in the country is 4 for every 10,000 patients. It is recommended by the World Health Organization that the ratio should be a minimum of 23 nurses for every 10,000 patients. Okay, so um, what challenges do you think nurses in Malawi are facing during this COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, so uh, it's a very good question and, and I can assure you many challenges. I think the the first challenge is uh, we, we don't have adequate number of nurses and midwives in this country. Uh, and just not nursing and midwifery, but I think even other healthcare professionals, the numbers are not adequate. So I think as of today, over 200 um, of the workforce have already tested positive themselves. So it wow. means we are reducing number of those people that are healthy to work. So the issue of numbers has always been there. We have a vacancy rate that's still very high. Um, I do know that over 70% vacancy rate for nursing and midwifery in this country. Uh, there has been improvement over the years uh, because the, the, the colleges have increased numbers of students uh, being taken into programs. But at the end of the day, even when students have gone through programs, have passed, they've qualified, uh, it's not automatic that they get a job. So we've noticed the past, particularly five five years, that um, um, when students graduate, they have to wait for maybe even two, three years before they can get a job. So um, recruitment is a big issue. Um, retention is another big issue because you know there are many um, organizations in this country that link to health. So they look for very good nurses and midwives. Actually, the best nurses and midwives are working in either international organization, non-government organizations. I have personally argued with these organizations that they should give back because we lose the best graduates into their organizations and, and not all of them are always willing to, to invest into uh, education of nurses and midwives and, and even doctors. So the numbers is a big issue. And then secondary protective, personal protective wear. Um, yes, there are donations. We, we've seen so many organizations coming forward. My own university actually are making face shields, some which we've donated to hospitals. But you know, the challenge with infectious diseases is that you can't reuse personal protective wear. It's usually only used once you throw away. So although we are getting these items in multitudes, they can only be used once. Very few of such items can be reused. And because of that, we still require adequate protective, uh, protective wear for the healthcare professionals. In April, healthcare workers took to the streets to protest over the low risk allowance pay. Healthcare workers refused to work until the government provided them with adequate personal protective equipment and better pay. Uh, number three is remuneration. Um, most of our health workforce, if you ask them whether they are satisfied with the remuneration, they'll all actually say they're not well paid. And it's true, we are a country in Africa, and I think not only Malawi, but most low resourcing countries um, do not pay the health workforce good salaries. It's not attractive to be a nurse. So in simple terms, a Malawian nurse cannot buy a car. Now, if you have a job that cannot buy a car, it means that uh, it's not attractive. And so many young people, probably when they are making decisions about what they want to do in future. The young people of the day would always want to find out how much will this job uh, pay me. And they would discover that nursing is, is one of the lowest paying. 
And my plea and my cry has always been to even our politicians really rethink, can we pay nurses better? Actually, I had a conversation with a politician yesterday, and I said, look, can you even increase the the package for, for the risk allowance they are getting? I mean, COVID-19 is real. It is so infectious. And when each nest leaves their home, they may come back home infected. A doctor can come back home infected. And I don't think that the type of remuneration our nurses and doctors get is good enough for the risk they, they take on their lives. And risk beyond COVID-19, we've lost so many nurses to HIV and AIDS, not because they, 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 they did something wrong or maybe they had a partner, but simply because they were nursing or maybe they were pleaked or maybe a fluid when they were assisting a woman give birth get it got into their mouth and then they, they got infected. So the risks of the job are very, very high. And and I think this is something that needs to be addressed because uh, if today owners has decided they would not work, who will look after those patients on the ward? Who will look after these patients in these isolation um, entities mm-hmm. that we have created? So generally, um, the, the, there's no... The, 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 the money that's been given to these nurses and doctors is not adequate as a risk allowance. It really needs to be revised. And for me, it has to be revised now. Now it's more important than ever before. So overall, when you when you look at you know pay pay package in Malawi, you will find that uh, there are some professions that don't require much you know, effort in terms of what people do, even the risk, but you find the salaries are usually very high. And so to me, it's that imbalance where people don't seem to, to put emphasis on those that are working in the healthcare field, uh, but you find accounting, the banks, and the ecosystem, um, uh, people are highly paid, I mean, honestly. But when you look at doctors and nurses, um, they can't afford even to buy a house, not even to buy a little car. So any profession that cannot provide that for its um uh, its own people it means that people are not taken care of and uh, it, the the system has to, to to change and and there's need for people just to look at life and say are we being fair to nurses are we being fair mm. to doctors I think you mentioned a good point about um, the qualified nurses going and working for international organizations or going abroad probably because they think they're, they're better opportunities outside of Malawi. You also mentioned in your letter that it's usually women that are nurses. It's a field which is dominated by women. Do you know why that is? No, so it's a historical, um, because if you remember, um, if, I don't know whether you, you, uh, you look through literature, the founder mm. of nursing was a woman, Forest Nightingale, uh, was actually uh, the lady who called, was called a, a lady with a lamp. So during the Second World War, she was going out looking after wounded soldiers with her lamp, you know, dressed in wounds. And so nursing came from, from what she did. So Florence Nightingale is the founder of nursing as a woman. And so over years, work to do with the dressing people when they have wounds, helping people that are not well. I mean, even biblically, we know, uh, we, we hear a story of that woman uh, a Shunammite whose baby was unwell, the the husband took the baby back to the to the, to the mother and saying you know, his baby is not feeling well, has a headache, which means that I think over the years historically 
when someone is unwell or people are not well, they always move to women like you can give the care. Now, over the years, we, we have seen our male counterparts joining the male profession. Uh, when I was head of nursing in Malawi, there was a time uh, the numbers were going up to even 30%. We, we had very good young men that passed very well MSCE and chose to come to Communist College of Nursing. Majority of them actually have taken leadership position. But what we found interesting was they will graduate from KCN. They never stayed in the healthcare system in Malawi. They are the ones who actually move to international organizations. And, um, and I, I did a study to check what was happening. Uh, one of the reasons why they moved out is because uh, when they get out there, because they don't even wear their uniform, uh, what's important is the fact that they have that degree in nursing and they get the recognition like any other medical person. So you find that the male nurses actually felt more comfortable in being recognized as uh, healthcare personnel, but not necessarily as nurses. So, um, so even when they come and do the training, when they finish, they don't want to be on the bedside. And even when they're on the bedside, if you go to this, you find that most of them don't want to wear a uniform because they want to be treated like a medical doctor. And so it's, it's, uh, it's obvious that they, they, they also feel perhaps this profession belongs to women. But it's changing. Uh, and globally, I've had interactions with male nurses that take leadership, like the International Council of Nurses. There was a time their CEO actually was a male nurse. When, when everybody's looking at the professional nursing, they look at it as a female dominated, then everybody thinks this is like second class profession. And so my plea has always been, even when you're making decisions, even in our own country, when they're putting up task forces or or they're putting up special groups, you never see a nurse in that group. They always take a medical doctor. They always take a male medical doctor. So it's, it's, a, it's a cultural issue. It's a social norm. And I think because of that, um, we, we, we really need to bring strong leadership in nursing. Nurses who should be able to say, hey, look here, we are here, and we form the backbone of the healthcare system. Even today, if all nurses in Malawi decided not to work, the healthcare system will collapse. If other mm. professions, and I will not mention, decided not to work, and the nurse is on the ward, you know that nurse will be able to handle nearly everything because that's how nurses are trained. So it's a very unfortunate situation because the fact that it's female-dominated um, and people always feel maybe this is second class, I, I, I think I, I look back and perhaps some of the decisions I've made to take leadership in nursing I've done it deliberately so I can remove that thinking that a nurse cannot do this. I do mm. believe that nurses are well prepared for their job. They are intelligent. They can make right decisions. And probably I'm able to do what I do today because I was probably trained as a nurse because you learn to be resilient. You learn to be very focused. You think comprehensively. You, your, you know, your attitude toward every, any situation is like, I can do it. I mean, if you've seen so many people die and taken people to mortuary, you, you have done something that not many people can do. So it, nursing prepares you for hard, hard things, hard things to do. And I personally believe that uh, nurses need to be given that opportunity to sit on that table. And when they sit yeah. on that table, they should choose the men. In our phone call conversation, we also talked about leadership, about not allowing your circumstances to stop you from being a leader. 
Professor Malata has taken up lots of spaces as the first woman and the first from the nursing and midwifery profession. We talked about the shortage in the number of nurses in spaces where important decisions are made. We talked about the importance of taking up space even when you're not invited to the table and not being afraid to make a contribution once you're at the table. They should be the ones making decisions. And I'm having a conversation. So I'm in, um, uh, in a WhatsApp group on um, uh, nurses leaders for nurses leaders in Malawi. And, and they're having a discussion about the role of nurses in COVID-19. And I have been mm. saying, no, you, we, you can't be talking to yourselves. You need to sit on that table. And if they don't invite you, invite yourself. Mm. I have learned that you have to invite yourself to be on that table. And and so I'm actually trying to see if I can invite the nurses on the table that's making decisions and I'm pushing. And it's not necessarily me now. I think I'm beyond that. I would want to see even a nurse on the COVID-19 uh, uh, task force in this nation. Nurses are very yeah. important. And they can help make some political decisions. Now, because I haven't been invited, I want to see if I can self-invite uh, a nurse on their behalf and, and just push in a name to say, look here, get one nurse on the, on the task force. And I'll be reaching out to the new Minister of Health to say, look here, don't leave out nurses. Nurses think differently, but nurses also form the, the highest group of healthcare professionals, not only in Malawi, but globally. What qualities do you think a good leader should have? I think um, a number of issues. Of course, you need to be qualified. So mm. when I applied for position of vice chancellor, I actually competed with six other professors, engineers and other professions. I wanted somebody with a um, science um, background. So for me, I knew I qualified for the job. Because that's the first thing you need to, 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 to convince yourself that you're applying. You're not applying because a woman, you're applying because you qualify. So I knew I qualified. I had worked, I'd been in leadership as a, a principal college of nursing for 10 years. Um, I knew academically, I was a very well-known um, professor of nursing. I'd written books, I'd written papers, I'd published. Um, I had done resource mobilization. So in terms of qualification, I had the qualification. So that, that should always be the motivator for anybody who wants to take leadership. Don't apply for a job because you're a woman. Because there are so many women out there who try uh, positions simply because they think, well, they'll say she'll be the only woman there and maybe we should consider her. I was, I knew that I was well qualified for the job. And the same when I gave my name after the vice president of the ICM, I knew that academically I was a very strong candidate and suddenly there was no one even that matched my qualification. So qualifications is very, very important. And number two, you you should also know that you, you have to, to sacrifice because uh, when you are taking up such leadership positions, you should always remember that you also hold your own other responsibilities. So I'm a wife. And I do not have always made sure that my being a wife should not suffer simply because I'm in a leadership position. I want to play that role of being a wife very well. And mm -hmm. then I'm a mother. So being a mother too. So it means I, I have to plan my work very well. I'm a very good planner. 
Upi akana sure you I plan my day, I plan my week, I plan my month, I plan my year. And mm. so many times when people are trying to catch me, I'll always be saying, look, my days are already taken. I really run it on a full, you know, um, uh, planned, you know, day, week and, and year. And the reason I do that is because I want to make sure that these other responsibilities don't suffer. So when it's weekend, I want time with my family. And so mm. I'll not be running around doing other things. And, you know, like I used to speak a lot in bridal showers in Malawi. And I just said to myself, look, with my professional life, I cannot do this anymore. And so I started sending apologies and I would just send a gift. And I'll go to a shower, maybe if it's really close, somebody's um, who is very close to my heart and I'll go there a few minutes and I'm off. Because I realize that I cannot do everything. And so one other characteristic of a good leader is ability to say no. Yeah. Because most women have challenges. They don't want to disappoint people. So they want to be everywhere. They want to be like, um, I think the circle transport there, there's a, a writing on their cars which is everywhere. Um, I think it's like they can do everything for anybody. But I, I do believe that we can't do everything. We should be able to say no. And, and mm. so that also means that you need to be a good planner, but also an assertive uh, planner, somebody who should be able to say this I will not be able to do. And I do that all the time. Like, I can't do this. I'll be able to do this. I can only do this maybe on this day. And so I, I direct my own life. Uh, the other issue is also to just make sure that you... You, the focus should not be yourself. Like, mm. as I said, I've, I've taken some of these positions not necessarily because of me, but because of many other women out there. Because I remember that even coming back from Australia after PhD, I asked one of my young you know, mentees who was going for a PhD in, in UK, uh, and I said to her, are you sure you come back? She says, yeah, I'll come back because you came back from Australia. And although it was like, um, you know, a statement made out of, you know, like just a, a normal conversation, I've never forgotten that. I realized that if I had stayed in Australia after my PhD studies, many of the young PhD holders today that went to school would have stayed in the countries where they went to, to study. You know, I talk about repeating MSCE in my life profile, that I repeated MSCE, and I tell young people that it's okay to repeat, because who cares? I mean, today people can say, oh, she repeated MSCE, so what? And so I didn't realize that there's so many women out there who have gone back to school because I told them, please go back to school. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can still do it. And there are women who have gone back even to, to study. A young a lady I know, who went to Namibia with her husband, couldn't pick a job. She was an enrolled nurse. She came back and I said, look, go back to school. She went back, repeated MSCE, passed, was selected to come to Kamunzu College of Nursing. And as it two years ago, graduated. It's called BST Nursing. But with three grown-up children. Mm. So she sent me a message, like, thanking me. Oh, thank you for sending me back to school. Now look, if she had said, oh, no, I have three children and, uh, you know, I've already been out there, she wouldn't have had a degree in nursing. 
So I do realize that I think in leadership, you should be just willing to be a role model. And so you can pull as many women. And for me, it's so satisfying when I see these women with their degrees, with their diplomas, and they're not all, my mentees are not all nurses. But to me, that's, that's, that's leadership. That's, so it's, it's not about me. It's always about other people. I mean, I still create time for myself. I create time for my family. I, um, when I say creating time for myself, I mean that Ubi, I, I enjoy shopping. So when I travel outside Malawi, I always create a day when I'll all just be doing shopping. So I spoil myself. Whether, so when I come back and you know, my, my daughter's like, Mom, you already have this. It's okay. It's just okay. I, I enjoyed buying it anyway. But to me, it's part of looking after myself. I've also had to learn playing golf now. So I play golf, uh, not for competition. So I'm not a very good golfer, but I'm, I'm sure I'm getting there. But it's really, I create time for myself. I create time. I have to go to the salon. Uh, many times it's really just to have that time to reflect, to be quiet. Uh, but it's really balancing yourself because leadership can be so draining. So mm. it's like people want you everywhere. But it's always important as a leader to create time for yourself, create time for your family, um, and also at the same time make sure that you are organized, managing your time, managing, you know, everything that affects your life. So just really be organized. There are many women I meet that don't even plan about their lives. They don't even plan what they want to wear that week. And so they have a function and they're running all over and trying to see where the shoes are. I think a good leader should you should really just make sure that you you plan everything and and also even for your professional growth that's why I always encourage young people that really want to make a difference in their lives that where possible finish your studies so just mm. don't drop uh, because you want to drop but do the best because I have my experiences that I mean I had children when I was also studying for PhD uh, when I look back, it's good that I had to do it that way. It was very difficult, but for younger people who can do it better, I would say maybe do everything and then you start having a family so that when you're back home, that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather than, I think, um, not really being focused. So focus is very important, but at the same time, making sure that you also live a balanced life. I remember meeting Professor Malata in 2003 when she was studying her PhD at Edith Cowan University in Perth, Australia, the same time my mother was studying her master's degree, also at Edith Cowan University. I'd often go to her house and her daughter Angela would come to my house to play. Now that I am much older, I am able to reflect back at the time with a more informed perspective. As a child, I wasn't really aware of the difficulties of being in university, in a foreign country, whilst building a family and raising children. So now that I'm older, I'm able to look back at those memories and I have, that I have of that time, and I can probably understand the difficulties of being in school, doing higher education whilst having a family and children to look after. So if you could think back to that time, imagine where you were, what advice would you have to yourself, Mrs. Malata, who hasn't yet got her PhD? 
Yeah, no, it's a so it's a very interesting question. Um, I look back um, and reflect on on certain issues, but one thing I can surely testify is that you you need family and friends, and and mm. and studying in Australia in a foreign country can be very stressful. I so I've kept your mom's pictures somewhere um, very close to me because. Um, for some reason, I have always believed that just the father were together was a very important point in my life where um, a friend would step in to become part of your family. And and so, Angela, I think nearly most Sundays love to come to your house. I mean, you had very nice yes. things, you enjoyed your doors and things, but also just the fact that your mom was, was happy to look after her. And I remember even sometimes my friends would want to take me out, professional friends, and, and your mom would say, no, bring her, and, and then you can go and, and come back. And sometimes even, I think Angela a couple of times spent even nights at your mom's place. And mm-hmm. maybe the other part that you may not know is that, so when I came back for graduation, uh, we couldn't afford to come, all of us. So my husband said, I think you should go. And so I had no family to, to be there. And, and your mom actually was, was my family. So she's the one who stood in as a, as a family member. And uh, you guys came to, to my graduation. It's, it's the fact that, you know, family and friends are very important when you, you go out to study. Now, mm-hmm. the, the picture changes because when you are, when you are in, in your own country, it's very easy to say, okay, mom-in-law is here, your brothers, your sisters. But in Australia, it was really very limited. And it's, there were also other Malawians. It's not every Malawian that would have done what your mom did. So for some reason, just God connected us together. And, and so your mom took that responsibility. And also, I also supported your mom um, uh, in many ways when she also needed family and, and making some of the decisions. And the circumstances under which we, we did all this were so um, it's, it's beyond our control. Like you go out there, you're on a scholarship. Uh, you can't bring everybody with you to look after your children. But at the same time, you you need to have someone who can support you. It's um, it's it's life. It's it's a life experience. I mean, I think to me, that's what enriches uh, our professional growth. Um, and when we share our stories with many women out there. They appreciate that anything can be done, because when mm. women are crying, to me, oh, no, I can't go to school. I remember a young lady who I found a scholarship for her to go to South Africa, and she was like, "No, I'm divorced, and no, my, I, I don't want to go to school now." I said to her, "Look, are your children okay?" She says, "Yeah, are they healthy?" She said, "Yes." I said, "Do you have your mom?" She says, "Yeah, my mom is living." I said, "Can you bring your mom from Zimba?" She can come to Blanta, stay with your children as you go to South Africa. Yes, I, I think I'll do that. You know, like two years later, she graduated and came to my office and she was crying. And she wow. said, you know, the time you were asking me those questions, I just couldn't appreciate. And I said to her, look, when I was asking you those questions, that was were your children okay? Was I know myself when I was studying and I had my daughter with me in Australia, my daughter was unwell. So mm. I just didn't understand why you had you would be crying when you had a normal child. 
and then you had a mother who was living. Many people don't have parents who are living. And he says, I know I look back now and you see now I've graduated, she even has got a PhD now. So there are many blessings in our lives that we don't look at. We only look at our challenges. And the reason why I share my story about when I was in Australia and Angela became unwell and times had to be in hospital, I encourage so many women out there who think it can't be done. And when I share the stories, they wow, how did you mm. do it? Yeah, so it can't be done. And, but, and God will always bring in people. And your mom was one of those people God brought in my life when I was doing my PhD. And she supported me, I supported her. And now we can look back. But we've gone through that. And maybe other women can say, wow, so these women had to go to South Africa. They had to go to Australia. They had to go to UK because many women think they, they can't be done. They just even don't think, imagine it can be done. Uh, mm. I look back now and I can encourage other women to say, you can go do it. We were women there studying, driving in Perth and doing things in Perth and God gave us the grace and today we look back with a lot of satisfaction. At the beginning of the episode, you heard the sound of an emergency an ambulance rushing into a hospital, a patient being rushed to the attention of doctors and nurses, the sound of a heartbeat monitor, the sound of a heartbeat. Sounds that nurses and midwives hear on a daily basis. Nurses are our heroes. They fight for our lives. During this pandemic where our health and the well-being of our loved ones is at such a great risk, we are relying on the expertise of medical professionals more than ever before. They are our heartbeat. Professor Malata's story is one that has personally inspired me and encouraged me since I was a little girl, particularly the qualities she embodies as a leader. Being assertive, acquiring the necessary qualifications, creating a balanced lifestyle so you're not personally depleted, and operating from a place of purpose, purpose which is greater than yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode. The music in this episode was brought to you by The Dream Manifest and the music in our outro was produced by Made by Cap. If you like our content, make sure to rate, review and subscribe. This helps to make sure that more people have a chance to listen to the podcast. You can also follow Wona Collective on Twitter and Facebook at Wona Collective and Instagram at Wona underscore collective and on YouTube as well. All the letters are also available as visual animations on our YouTube and Instagram pages. Thanks again for listening. On the next episode of Letters. It's my body. I just have to accept who I am. The women who submit my double challenge. One, because they have abnism. Two, because they are women. Uh, so one lady with abnism was saying that she went to access uh, sexual reproductive health services. But then the medical personnel was asking questions that even herself, she, was, she wasn't happy the way she was addressed. So she was asked, do you also have sexual feelings? Mm. Uh, people like you shouldn't, shouldn't be having sex, should live their mm. life of celibacy. So just because she has albinism, she shouldn't be sexually active? Yeah, that's what people think. Um, who are you? Um, I am Tikondi Kanjata. I am the current Miss Albinism 2019. Um, I'm Tumili Wampepo, a young woman with Albinism. Okay.